Welcome, friends, to Tanked Up, the podcast all about video games and craft beer. I'm one of your hosts, Ben. It's episode, I think, 269. I'm here with Adam. <laughs> hey! I, I, I like the pause. <laughs> Just running through in my head, like, 269? Yeah, what do I do next? Okay, yeah, uh, other people. Do you know what we should have um, said? We should have said, nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We're uh, also here with returning guest, Adam. Yeah, I'm back much sooner than normal, but this time I promise not to hijack the entire podcast, uh, <laughs> like last time. Sometimes you've just got to spend that extra bit of time, as you, as you wanted to, yeah. getting through all of your thoughts and feelings about, you know, oh, yeah. uh, Elite Dangerous and Odyssey yeah. um, for that episode. So. Yeah, it made a big difference because I, I did actually then sit down and, and write something for the site mm. like I was supposed to, so you can find that on outoflives.net. Uh, you guys um, and your writing you, articles um, for the site instead yeah. of just making video content. Or, or you can <laughs> listen to all two and almost a half hours of me ranting about it on Tacked Up. Well, two hours and other important stuff after. Uh, no, that's yes. very kind of you, calling this some, <laughs> the rest important stuff. <laughs> Should we open some beers? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Adam, what are you drinking tonight as, I, a, as a non-beery man? I have the same as last time, which is just uh, a regular Pepsi and my nice uh, pint glass to be consistent with the theme. Perfect. You know, well, partially consistent anyway. <laughs> good, good. Um, I'm going to kick off. Mm-hmm. I'm going to open a new, a newer beer from Arbus. It's been sitting in the fridge for a little while, but this is Galazaka. It's New England IPA. It is 6.2%, and it's a New England IPA brewed with Galaxy and Azaka hops. That's all we get, but there's the tin. Dark blue, orange... They've made the kind of text for Galazaka a little bit kind of spacey. Battle card stars Alagagazaka. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I know words. <laughs> Perfect. But obviously it's an other, so it's in a pint can. I'm going to crack this open right now whilst Adol tells us about what he's going to start with. Uh, I'm drinking this beer. Or bear. Citra and Mosaic IPA. From Dongfeng Brewery, Citra Yuzu IPA. Um, e, so Yuzu is a um, orange. So it says, originating from central China, this lumpy little orange adds citrusy abundance to the medley of berry aromas imbued by the mosaic and citra hops in this IPA. It is brewed at Dongfeng Brewery, which is in Belgium. It is a 4.2% ABV, oh. and as you can see... It's in this really cool looking can. I love the bear. The I'm assuming this says Yuzu, but I don't know the characters, but I just would make sense. Um, For all we know, that's a slur. <laughs> yeah, and then and then I believe it's the text in, in uh, as well in Chinese. But again, I don't don't speak or read <laughs> said language, so yeah, I'll just pour it. That's fair. Absolutely. Um, we'll come back then to the Arbor. Um, it's pretty opaque. Uh, nice frothy head. Not a big nose on it. Very, very light. 
maybe a little sort of orangey. It's it's sort of a very light but tropical kind of citrus nose. I'll just get stuck in. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. It is very light in the flavour as well. There's nothing massive going on in this. I think the last the, the beers I had last week, um, I had a similar kind of thought that sip them. There's not a huge amount going on with them. Mm. This though, flavour wise, is very very pleasant. It's maybe a little bit more sort of grapefruity, but also um, more sort of stone fruits. So a little bit peachy in there as well, sort of towards the end. But it does have this nice bitter, very low bitter finish to it as well, which sticks around. It's a little bit carbonated and is is carbonated kind of throughout the beer. It isn't sort of I've poured it and that carbonation is gone. This is actually sticking around. So even towards the end, when you're getting that bitterness, you're still getting a bit of that carbonation, which matches up quite nicely. Um, pairs very well having that bitterness and the carbonation together sort of on the finish. It'd be interesting to see how this beer is in, say, like half an hour when I'm getting towards the end of it, whether it still has the same hit as the end currently does with the... Um, with the expectation that the carbonation will have faded away from it significantly, so. But that's kind of all it is. Hmm. That's it. Which is fine. It's pleasant. It's doing a job. It's maybe a little bit... A little sort of... Uh, acrid. Hmm. I there as well. So when that. you get to the end... When mm, when you get to the end of the grapefruit and the um, sort of that apricotty kind of flavour, when it's m- moving into that bit of finish, there is just a bit of an acrid sort of sweetness in there as well, as it sort of flows into that bitterness. So, hmm, hmm. one to return to and talk about later, I think. I think that carbonation is doing a lot for it at the moment. So we'll see. How this develops. Sounds good. Adol, we'll come for you. Is it, was it Dongfang? Dongfang. Is it, is it, there's, there's lots of sort of, um, whether it is uh, um, sort of Cantonese or, or Mandarin or, mm. or some other um, sort of East Asian um, language kind of covering the fact. When you said it was brewed in Belgium, it threw me uh, thinking that this was maybe like, I was expecting you to say like South Korea or something like that instead, but. Yeah, um, and I'll look him up to tell you more because I meant to. Because mm. I'm I I'm wondering if it's one of those. Um, that their license. Or... Yeah, like this is the yeah. European. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, I, I... contract brewed out somewhere in Belgium to to distribute yeah. through Europe or something. Well, so it says brewed by Dongfeng at De Prouf in Belgium. So I'm wondering okay. if. They yeah like so so the difference would be whether it's the it doesn't sound like it's an importer it sounds like a brute under license then, um, mm. because yeah if you look it up on on tap Dongfeng is listed as uh, People's Republic of China, okay uh, brewer but I haven't that's my first hit because that's how one you know, um, 
searches. They don't look at anything else. How Google works. Yeah. Just number one. But I'll, 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 I'll dig into that in a sec, but let's talk about this beer. Mm. It poured with... My pour wasn't great. You can see how high the head was, but it dissipated quite a bit. It's mm. leaving just like a, like a centimeter of head. Um, on the pour, I was getting really light, um, sweet, fruity aroma. And that's still there now. There's like a slight mellowness from, I think, malt, the malts. I'm definitely getting something kind of like a... You've got citrus and like something like a strawberry, but like really mm-hmm. light, mostly the sweet part of the berry. Okay. Um, and again, you're getting this light citrus, I want to say. Um, like almost you get when you have like a tin of mandarins, that first like that, the smell actually of opening a tin of mandarins and that syrupy water that's like very sweet. The smell of that is sort of sitting somewhere mm. in here. Sounds like an interesting combination of flavors, especially with strawberry in there. Well, like I said, it's it's like mostly the sweetness from the berry. You're not getting sort of sure. the rest of the depth of the berry flavor. Mmm. Oh, this is really nice. Um, it's what did I say? Four point percent? Four point three percent? Two percent? It's just okay. got enough um, effervescence, and it's got um. What am I trying to say? Uh, its mouthfeel is a little thicker than you'd think for a four point two percent beer, so it just feels like a like a regular IPA. You know, like a, like a I'm used to seeing these closer to five percent, six percent. Um, and you get those this like bright citrusy start, and it has that sweet. I'm gonna say tin of mandarin. I'm assuming that's the yuzu. You know, that this is yeah. brewed with, that's supposed to be citrusy abundance, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's But because of the mosaic and the citra hops are quite well hopped here, underneath is this slightly piney, slightly acrid, but just really solid bitterness that is working really well with the sweetness without while being a bit distinct. And you can kind of tell because mm-hmm. now that I'm just sitting here, I do have this like lingering, slightly acrid, um, lightly pined bitterness. And the sweetness is mostly gone, um, mm. but they're, it's really well blended, really, really well bl- balanced. You know, I talk a lot about a taste curve. This is more like two lines in parallel that are sort of okay. really close, but not quite overlap. Like it's not like they're far apart. So it's like, oh, there's this note and this note, and it, they're fighting. This is just sort of like these things are doing things that are close, but they're not sort of taking turns until this until the sweetness sort of fades and. Even then, it's just the fact that the bitterness fades a little slower, um, but really tasty. Um, it's not going to last long. I think it's been a hot day, and this is like the mm. perfect hot day beer. You know, I feel really refreshed that the sweetness and the citrus is just like really um, refreshing. And so I think this might not take a while. That's fair. That's fair. It's always good. Uh, today's been a, an odd day here in Bristol, at least, and it's kind of been warm and then a bit cooler when it's uh, clouded over, which is done lots kind of during the day. So I can, yeah, having an, a lovely, very refreshing beer right now would sit very, very well. <laughs> he says Perfect. having a different type of beer in front of him, I guess. Mm-hmm. 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 It's still enjoyable. I'm still enjoying this. Uh, but we will jump in as we have spoken about 
the beers that we have cracked to some video games and move into our topics for the week. Uh, Adam, we oh. will start with you, as you've just let us rant for the last sort of five minutes about <laughs> beers, uh, uh, which I, mean, I know you're not a big fan of. I, I like that... Uh... <laughs> I'm letting you do the thing that you do on your own podcast. <laughs> uh, oh, how times have changed. Uh, Sat very patiently whilst we did it. Yeah, that's just how that goes. Um, yeah, so I've been playing, thanks to a code that we were given throughout of lives, uh, Chivalry 2, mm. which is a medieval combat simulator, I guess. Kind of dueling type thing but you're not one on one as such as you're 32 versus 32 <laughs> right and you know playing kind of uh, objectives and, and stuff like that so you you have your array of weapons and you have you know your, your swords and axes and hammers and stuff and everyone's dressed up in their plate armour and whatnot, and you basically run about trying to hack one another to death <laughs> Um, it's first person, right? Uh, it can be third person, but okay, f- you you can change the perspective. But nice. Uh, I think third uh, first person is probably the better option of the two mm-hmm. uh, in terms of control. Uh, but um, uh, it's been a lot of fun because it's it's just chaotic and mad. <laughs> uh, I actually think it, it's almost a better simulation of what medieval combat must have been like than maybe they planned. Right. Because, because it is just complete bedlam. Like, a lot of the... <laughs> a lot, like, like a, a, a lot of the, the matches kind of start with, you know, the initial, like, two lines of people charging at one another. And really, who comes off best out of that is a, a insane mixture of sheer luck and mishap... <laughs> <laughs> and and then you know what once one person kind of falls you know the line kind of breaks and which one goes just there's you know it comes down to the the kind of nearest of margins that you wouldn't necessarily think it does you know you, so you just happen to get a lucky shot with an arrow or <laughs> that guy tar- or that the guy that you were about to swing your axe at ducked so you hit the guy next to him and killed him instead, you know, and that sort of thing. And then, so that's kind of, is what decides that kind of first scrum where everybody kind of charges into one another. And then from there, it's just a kind of chaotic mishmash as uh, everyone kind of respawns back in after, you know, a, f- a few seconds. It's anywhere between like five and 15 kind of seconds, somewhere around that kind of mark. And you respawn back in kind of in waves of people again. So right. there's, all, there's usually a group of you coming back into the fight again. And that's happening on both teams all the time. So the the, the battles themselves end out in this weird place where you finally think you've got the upper hand on someone and then five of his mates come over <laughs> from the, just out of, out of view to your left and you get smacked in the back by a hammer or something like that. And you go, oh, damn. <laughs> We pushed this chance and uh, missed it by a lot. Um, so is this... Are you coming into sort of um, like a big open arena kind of thing? When you, when you say sort of, you know, you've got waves of each team kind of coming together and sort of hitting, yeah. it, is a lot of it sort of like open battlefields to sort of be able to do that? Or yeah. are they a bit more kind of complex than that? 
Yeah, there's a few different ones. So there, there's some that are basically kind of like fields and forests. Uh, a lot of the battles are kind of done in stages. Uh, you know, so like one team is kind of like attacking some sort of objective or like pushing a like a, a convoy along sort of idea. And mm. then so you get to choke points like bridges and then you get, you know, further along to like the siege part where you're up against the, the walls and the, the gate house and stuff like that. And then if you manage to get through that, you then fight kind of inside the castle part. Right. Uh, and the, there's some that are, you know, based around like fighting over a village. There's one that's just straight up uh, tournament grounds like you'd see in the films. <laughs> You know, mm. you know the sort of jousting grounds where the mm. the horses go up and down in front of the the king up and as we kind of promenade thing, and you know, and so the, there's a few different kind of um, uh, maps that you you play. I've tended to quite like the the kind of castley ones because they funnel people in in interesting ways, and you end out in these kind of mad dog fights over a doorway <laughs> right and, and stuff like that and then then there's always options to kind of like flank around and things like that and you know the defending side tends to have more options to get in behind like where the attacking is so the attackers come up kind of like a corridor and then have to attack a doorway but there's option there's bits along that wall where defenders can jump out but you can't jump in the way so you can okay. have, you know, like everyone kind of hacking at the door and then suddenly loads of people come up from behind them and stab them all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can get caught out quite easily. There's a lot of that. Um, and, you know, you don't have a lot of health, so you only get a couple of hits and then you end up dead. Mm. Um, Are there any um, sort of like one-shot parts as well? Like, it can can someone come in and just chop your head off? Yeah, that's definitely happened a few times. I'm <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, it's one of those that it it's completely madcap and insane, but there's a huge amount of skill involved in it, mm. and and being good at it because basically the, the way the combat works, kind of like if you're one on one with someone, is, uh, you know, it's a combination of using your attacking options and parrying and countering. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got your basic like slash attack. You've got like an overhead kind of slash attack. You've got a stab kind of attack. You can also like jab and kick, which are very, you know, like quick attacks usually. Well, the kick's kind of slower, but it's a heavier one. And then you've got like a kind of jab one. So you're holding your sword like this and you can kind of jab them with it. The sort oh, of like literally like, like, like meleeing yeah. with, a, with, with a rifle. Just hit them with a the hilt. Like, yeah. yeah. So you can do that. Sometimes it is a punch. It depends on the weapon. You know, it's all mm. con- kind of context specific, but just kind of like a kind of classic sword sort of thing. You'd be trying to like overhead slash and stuff, and then they they would block it, and you know, so they would then kind of wind up what they were going to do in a way of kind of interrupting their flow so that they don't get their attack off, you know, at you as to use like your jab or, and then you can dodge uh, a, a bit as well. And obviously you can parry, but the way the parrying works is uh, you do have the wee reticule on the, the screen in, in first person anyway. And you have to you basically have to use that to parry the tip of the weapon that's attacking you. So if you're not blocking in the right place, oh. they still hit you. Yep. So that's where a lot of the skill comes in because you're, you're not just doing that kind of 
I attack, then you attack, and then I attack, and then you attack, and then one of us kind of wins. It's it's a combination of using the parries, and the, the, there's a stamina bar as well, so you can't just hold block the entire time. It drains the bar, mm. and every hit you take takes a chunk out of it. And there's a way there's ways of recovering it by using good counter kind of riposte kind of moves and stuff like that. So there's this kind of skill in managing your own stamina and trying to wear out the other guys by using like the jabs and stuff like that. And you're also trying to combine kind of attacks into combo moves and you can use them as like feints. So you can kind of motion to go for like an overhead slash and so you try to block that but then you can go for a stab instead by changing your, your button presses and stuff like that if you do it in the right way. And so there's a huge amount of skill involved in that. But the reason it's so madcap is you don't get a one-on-one fight for very long because yeah. immediately someone else is charging in. And sometimes being up in numbers doesn't help you because you can just as easily hack your friend to death as you can the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, the, the, you know, a, a sword doesn't choose who it cuts through. You just swing it <laughs> and, and it goes where it goes. And so if your teammate just kind of jumps out in front of you, you're just as likely to kill them as anything mm. else. So then you kind of end out in this kind of place where sometimes there's like three or four of you trying to kill the one person who's kind of trapped in like a corner somewhere. <laughs> but your only option really is to try and kind of stab at them or use the overhead because you're not using the horizontal where you're going to hit your yeah. teammates too much. Which makes their life a wee bit easier in trying to block. And if they hold off for long enough... You know, that's when some people will come running along and help out and you end up getting stabbed in the back and mm. losing the advantage and all that. So you end up in this just crazy place. And it, it does make for some very good fun. Um, and, it, and, uh, it, I was going to say, is there... You keep saying about, like, different weapons and things. Yeah. And obviously that uh, affecting kind of, like, the attacks... Yeah. Are there, are like, do you pick classes, or is it just? Yeah. I've got a sword now. I've got a hammer now. I've got yeah, a bigger the, sword now. Yeah, there's classes, and each class has kind of different weapons available. As you level up in the class, you can unlock mm-hmm. different ones. Uh, and so the the differences between the weapons are their reach, uh, the speed, and the damage that they do. So you can obviously have. Uh, very quick to use like small knives sort of attacks mm. and, you know like a bigger sword has a much bigger reach but is slower to you know to swing at people and that sort of thing so that's where the kind of differences come in and you do notice that very quickly that it's very difficult to get near people who have got the kind of spears or like halberd type long handled stuff if mm. you've just got a sword or an axe or something um so yeah, so it's broken up into classes. There's also uh, archer classes. So there's archers and uh, crossbows that you can use. Uh, that's one kind of style of class. There's now, uh, can you can you do something like sniping with the art? Like like how how much mapping to the regular? Like Ben was mentioning one shots before, and I was really curious. Like yeah. is is there like a stay at the back ranged? If I'm good, boy, are you screwed? Or is that just not, like, a class in the game? There's definitely is an element of that. I'm not 100% sure if you can be one-shotted with an arrow at full health. But very often, you're running about with less than that. 
Right. So mm. I have been just smacked by a, an arrow from nowhere that I've not seen coming and, and killed, and I've done it to a few people as well. Because, that again, you, know, you have to be careful about it because you can just as easily kill your teammates with them, but it is, it is definitely a tactic uh, that a lot... There's there's usually at least a few archers, and the epic can be quite invaluable in just harrying people and stopping them doing anything. Because as soon as you realise an arrow's whizzed past you or you've been hit by one, you start kind of being much more aware of the fact that you know you're you're out in the open now that they can see you and where the shot came from, and that sometimes that split second of oh bollocks, there's an archer here is enough to make you miss the time you're parry and get fucking yeah. sliced in half. <laughs> right. Um, um, but, but my favourite thing that I discovered in the game is you can, as a sort of last resort, throw your weapon that you're oh, holding. Oh, nice. Uh, so m- my favourite trick is essentially using the, the class that uh, I've, I've went, I can carry two axes. Hmm. Uh, so my favorite my favorite trick is to you know have fights with people and then just lob one of them at them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you pick it back you, up? Yeah, you can pick them back up. You can pick nice. up other weapons as well. The, there's some limitations. I'm not entirely sure what they are about that. I think it's just class specific. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, if there's weapons on the ground or your enemy drops one or or anything like that, you can pick them up. There's also been times where I've thrown my axe at someone and they've got it caught in their shield and I've been able to pick oh, it up cool. off their shield. <laughs> That's very cool. Whilst, you know, running away from them and trying not to get stabbed by their sword and then I'm like, give me my axe back, I need it. <laughs> you know, kind of dancing about. Um, Amazing. So you could go like full Rambo and, and run in, <laughs> sort of take out a couple of people with whatever you've got throw your axes and miss them, pick up a bow and arrow and take some people out with that. Then run along when you've run out of arrows and pick up a sword and kind of, you know, there, there, there's yeah. that possibility of being able to just Oh yeah, if, if, you're, if you're good at it or you have a good run of luck where you just happen to be in the right place at the right time, then you can you can <laughs> go quite far. Because the, there's, I always tend to find this well, because the way it scores it is there's, uh, there's takedowns kills and then obviously your deaths and the way it scores it is takedowns and kills are essentially the same mm-hmm. and you get takedowns as long as you've did you know enough damage to someone so even if they kill you and your teammate gets them you still get credited with points on the board for it nice you know like yeah, nice. for you so i tend to find that even though quite often you sort of run into a melee go Wah! and end out dead almost immediately <laughs> you still pick up some points here and there for it and you feel like you've helped in some way even though mm. chances are you didn't <laughs> um, right but but then there's there's other times where you have felt like an absolute boss like holding up like uh the kind of broken bit of uh like kind of castle wall sort of rampart thing where they're, they're running up it and me and like two or three of the people in my team were holding the top of it not letting them get right up onto the top of it and you end out and you get into that sort of place and I ended out I got like three or four kills just with a single swing on the oh, side wow. at that point just because everyone else had been doing a lot of damage to them and I just kind of uh, ran in and went Wah! and and I happened to be the one that got them all uh, chances are their teammates helped quite a bit with that because there was a lot of them <laughs> so, mm. I, but, so I got you know like three or four and then another couple we got and then I get wiped by an arrow 
from a guy standing at the bottom of it <laughs> that hadn't came running up it yet, and that's and that's sort of the fun because it's just crazy. So, uh, I, it's one of those games that you take it seriously enough that you know playing the objective and trying to to win the games, but I'm not taking it that seriously that I get upset every time I die. It's not right. like the way you sometimes get in more competitive games like a Call of Duty or whatever, where mm. every time you die feels like a horrific failure. And this right. is just it's just the part of it. Everybody gets it. <laughs> and it can be from something as daft as you stepped out in front of your teammate just as he decided to lob his axe at the enemy, you know, 10 feet down the, down <laughs> just the road. Just take it straight in the face. <laughs> and it happens. It really does. It is that kind of crazy. Uh, it's been quite um, fun. I've really So it. how is matchmaking done? Like, is there, speaking of, like, Call of Duty and things, like, with those games, which are people, like, care more about being good, yeah. um... It, you know, you have a ranking or a point system or whatever, um, and then you get matched with similar. That's a thing, right? I don't even know if that's true with the latest Call of Duty. I'm making things up. Games yeah, have done I, this. Yeah, it's um, skill-based skill matchmaking. Usually yeah. you have... You you either have an overt, like, ranked playlist where you play games and you get placed based on how you mm-hmm. do, or, or a lot of games have a kind of hidden ranking that they give you that they work out in some nebulous way. That to try and differentiate people because yeah, the games like skill based games like Call of Duty and stuff like that are more fun when the games are competitive and you're not yeah constantly being stomped on or well, stomping other teams. Sort of what I was uh, going to get to is: Are you aware of whether people like as you're saying, like, boy, is this game kind of? I can have like tactics and where I go, but when I get there. Yeah. Mm, Right, that seems to be yeah. the vibe you're saying. Like, I was just curious: are there like lobbies where it's like, oh no, I've I've mastered the swing, yeah. so I can, you know, halfway through the swing, swing hit jump yeah. or something, so it just hits the one guy. You know, you know how people are. Yeah, there's definitely you can definitely tell the difference between people who are clued in on on the best way to use the mechanics and their weapons, and the people who aren't. Um, when you come up against them, because you do start to notice. Oh, that guy's killed me a few times now, <laughs> and and it's not been close. And and you do get the the ones where you have quite good deals with certain people because you're both almost as hopeless as one another. And well, mm. in my case, it's because we're both equally hopeless. And then I lob an axe at them, <laughs> and sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not sure if the matchmaking has a skill based element to how it sorts people I don't mm. know if it's maybe too early for that still um, but there's definitely a difference in the, the skill level of players uh, you know it it does start to filter through that you can tell um, and that, that as well as some of the games go you know right down to the wire and some of them do kind of snowball really quickly uh, and one team just does well and and how much of that is because the players are good, and how much of that is just good fortune? I, I really don't know. <laughs> a mm. lot of the time, it's, it's so difficult to tell. Um, but it, like you say, with real life medieval combat, that's what a lot of it came down to. Like, yes, you can have those bigger kind of tactics, 
that sort of like generals and people would put in place of being like, right, we're going to send X amount of people here and X amount of people. Here. You know, we're talking about much smaller yeah. scale kind of skirmishes within this game, but a lot of it sounds like, and it would yeah. have been in real life that you just come up against someone who is slightly better than you, who can telegraph your attack yeah. and they know exactly how to to counter it. Essentially, yeah. And so you either come up against someone who's slightly better than you. Or you come up against three people who are just as bad as you, and the three <laughs> tends to win. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's one of those. It's a sort of historical kind of insight into you know like medieval combat, and it it really puts into perspective, you know, sort of just as a kind of as being a wee bit of a, you know, kind of history nerd about certain things. Is you you suddenly realise, based on this, just how big a deal it was that like the Romans had. A disciplined army, mm. as opposed mm. to what the what most of medieval combat was, which was this: you you kind of draw up your line of you know your kind of infantry people, and you have your cavalry that you try and use to flank. You charge at one another. You have a kind of bish bash, and one side held their line, and the other side didn't, and then it was just a slaughter after that. And so the battles themselves were actually really short. You know, in terms of what we kind of, what your your total war and stuff like that kind of makes you think of. This is what battles were like, and yeah, and and really, that part of it was very short. There was a lot of getting to the battle and picking where you were going to have the battle and trying to you know pick ground that's going to be suitable for you and having a you know attack a strategic advantage and that kind of elements and on it and getting to together for it. And then you would have five minutes of battle, pretty much, it would feel like. <laughs> and then days or and hours and days, potentially, of just kind of mass slaughter. That's where most of the casualties would happen. Mm. It's, it's the running away from the, the battle that is where most of the people were run down and killed. Um, or in the, the aftermath in the, the villages and towns or whatever that they were trying to defend. And as a sort of historical kind of insight in that way, it's, it's a, actually a way more enlightening because if you have every, everyone can have you know as that said like that kind of strategic mindset of oh well I'll go here and you know I'll use the archer class and I'll go up onto this vantage point and I'll be able to shoot down and that will help these people who are holding you know this location here and doing this thing and, and then a couple other people can flank around that way and that will get them and all of that goes completely out of the window as soon as there's an enemy near you. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because nothing ever... There's, there's no time for strategy when you're having to focus on the pointy thing that's trying to get you. You know, because it's that close and I'm just not my mic. Sorry about that audio. <laughs> my apologies. Uh, so yeah, so it's trying to... You've no time to think about anything else when you are literally dodging something that couldn't get you on a skewer. Uh, mm. You know, because you're not going to last very long if you don't do the dodging, so you can't think about much else. And that's so the the fact that there was ever, uh, you know, disciplined armies that fought in formation and stuff like that is crazy <laughs> because there's no way. So if you do have any semblance of kind of group mentality or that, where people stick together and gang up on people, that tends to turn fights quite quickly. Sure, uh, because. It doesn't matter how good at the game you are, you're not going to last very long against five people when you're on your own. You'll last a while. You might even kill a couple of them, but you'll run out of stamina eventually and then they'll just get you, like, based on that. Not because they're more skilled than you, but because there was just too many of them for just you to Just through attrition, with. essentially. Yeah. Because, you know, again, 
the, why the stamina system is quite good is because that is just true. You, you think of, mm. you know, again, video games, you, you just go for hours and hours and you just swing about your sword and all that and it just doesn't matter. But yeah, it's very tiring in real life and it doesn't last for very long before suddenly you're absolutely panting because you just can't keep doing it for any length of time. Especially if you're wandering about in the, like, the full plate armor and stuff. Because that was very mm. heavy as well. Never mind your your sword or whatever. Um, it, like I I can't think of many games uh, that I played that are are like this. But the the only one that kind of comes to mind is like For Honor, which mm. I, I think very much um, lent into kind of the classes that you could be. And I only ever really played the beta and a little bit of it, not not a huge amount, but it very much seemed like. This class trumps this class, but this class trumps this class, and this class trumps it. And, and, and you know, there's yeah. this kind of uh, effect that that if you come up against this person, you're essentially done, and you have to hold out until somebody else kind of turns yeah, takes up. Them out. Do, yeah. do, is is there part of that in there as well? Like if you're one on one with someone, you know that they've got a certain sort of style of play, or they've got these weapons, and you think, right, I'm really getting hammered here. I yeah. have to hold out as long as possible. Yeah. Th- there is a bit of that, but you can always turn a fight around. As mm. a, as a, that's where again where the, the skill based stuff is, comes into it because the, the the three elements of the weapons, the damage that you can do, the speed you can swing it, and the reach it has comes into play. So someone with a you know a spear or a pole arm or whatever is a lot more difficult to get close to, mm-hmm. to actually hit with your your axe or whatever because you if you've got a shorter range weapon. So those can be very difficult fights, but if you can get close enough to them, it only takes a couple of hacks and you get them. You know, it's, yeah. it's not as difficult. Um, um, I didn't play an awful lot of For Honor, but For Honor feels like even more a missed opportunity having seen how Chivalry 2 does it. Because mm. um, my abiding memory of For Honor was was from the beta, which turned me off the game completely, and it was yeah. because of how they mm. did the multiplayer, because it was, it was it wasn't server based. It was uh, player to player matchmaking. Oh, and, I remember now. Yeah, yeah. As opposed was... to as opposed to having the dedicated servers that everybody joins, so that meant that there was always one person in the lobby who had zero ping essentially, which meant mm-hmm. that in a in a game that's supposed to be all about your timing and you know, encountering with the right move and all that, they had a huge, huge advantage. And whatever team they were on, they tended just to cut through everybody. So you'd be having a great deal, like as you said, like desperately struggling to hold on until your teammate arrives and then some other guy would just come along and go, Bink! and you'd be dead. And you're like, yeah, oh, there's just no way. And, and that side of it's not fun, whereas I haven't came across that in the same way here. Hmm. Yeah. As far as I know, it's uh, server-based, dedicated server matchmaking. It might not be, but uh, as far as I, I can tell, it is. And if it's not, the game covers over very well the fact that there's someone there who has an advantage, you know, just by the nature of it, because you can't just die from anything and everything, pretty much. So, yeah, I haven't came across that where I felt like it, one person's had the an advantage that wasn't, skill based it wasn't that I didn't see what they were doing it was just that they were too good at doing it for me to really do anything about (laughs) if you know what I mean yeah I I didn't understand what they did but I did see it happen as opposed (laughs) to 
you know that someone would appear on screen and then you'd be dead because your mm. your ping couldn't pick up what actually happened to you and you would miss it and that's why like for honor for me fell apart in that beta because of that decision that they yep. made that they i don't know if they ever changed it um but by that point i think it was too late for a lot of people it didn't I'm sure it has, you know, its own kind of cult following or it's it I mean, it, a player it, base because I still hear about yeah. it occasionally. But yeah, it must do because uh, it has continuing sort of seasons and releases yeah. and things but coming maybe, up for us. Maybe I mean, that's just what, wishful thinking. I don't know. <laughs> one of the benefits of not having dedicated servers is um, you There's, like can yeah. run it on a different type of um, investment. For longer, yeah. right? Like mm. you're not, you don't, yeah. you need the dev team to fix bugs, and you need the social media managers to make people feel heard and relevant. But you just don't need the servers because they don't yeah. exist. Yeah, it's, it's in, as long as there are players, there will be people to for there will be a game sort of available yeah. to. Yeah, that is an advantage for that, but it it definitely doesn't help the gameplay. <laughs> or yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I I, I think that's a better. yeah. That's to the detriment of the players, but to yeah, I mean, I guess in the long run, maybe it isn't. Yeah, uh, so but uh, I think that maybe that is why it's still around. But I also would say that that's probably why it's a kind of I don't know, like a B tier game in that kind of way. That it just it has its wee following, but it doesn't really kind of cut into the mainstream at all. Mm. Uh, that, that, that's that's just my opinion on it. Um, that's because that's I did what not have a very good time with the beta because of that mm. stuff. Uh, whereas I've had an excellent time with uh, Chivalry 2. Mind you, that this isn't a beta. This is released. Yeah, this mm. is full release, right? Uh, yeah. I, I imagine it did have its problems when it was in beta. Because uh, yeah, every game does. They always do. Um, but <laughs> is, there, uh, is there anything kind of... Additionally to this, um, like person on person or, or, or to, to the combat, like you're talking about the idea about some maps have like objectives and things and you have to go to a, get, you know, the attacking team have to get to a point and stuff. Is there anything where you can like man defenses and things? Uh, are there like pots of oil and things you can, th- you know, f- yeah. f- flaming torches you can throw on people and things like that? Is there extra stuff that you can kind of do? So w- when we were talking about the idea of, maybe strategizing a little bit kind of as a player being in that mm. archer and wanting to kind of flank around and get up top and all of those sorts of things. Is there other stuff you can do as well? Yeah. The, in some of the maps, there's kind of emplacement. So there's uh, mm. like ballista or uh, like yeah, catapults. I, I tell you, nice. the, the first time I discovered that catapults were in the game was when I was launched like 80 feet in the air by one. <laughs> but you were on the... How did you not notice a catapult no, no. when you were standing on a catapult? <laughs> because I wasn't standing on the catapult. The rock fired from the catapult, landed next to me and launched me 80 oh, feet in the air. It did like wow. physics yeah. impact? Yeah, so I went boom! <laughs> and That's me amazing. and like three other guys went way and ragdolled away. I was like, what the... F- was that <laughs> I was not <laughs> impressed at all until I because I, I thought for a minute that was like some sort of trap or a bug or something where I was like that should not have happened and then I'm like and then I seen the next time I loaded in you know the, the rock kind of arcing across and I'm like mm. that's a fucking catapult yeah <laughs> so, so that was impressive so yeah there's, so it depends on the map uh, so there's some of that on any, any of the kind of uh 
like battlements, the, the ramparts and stuff like that, you tend to find uh, there'll be like wee piles of uh, like rocks and stuff you can pick up and kind of just lob down at people. Yeah, right. Uh, so you you do get that kind of stuff. And there are, there are items kind of spread throughout the maps. Uh, there's different ones. One of the things that you see a lot of people doing is picking up like a shovel and just trying to kill people with that. <laughs> right, um, of course. That's one of the things that I've noticed that people do. If there's shovels about, people love picking them up to smack people with. Um, and yeah, and in some of the the kind of like objectives are based around having flaming torches uh, and setting stuff mm. on fire. Um, okay. So that there's like um. Oh, what do you call it? Like an obstacle and like the pathway of a convoy that you have to go destroy, and that's how you do it. Is there's kind of oh, it's like nine patches of kind of stuff that you have to go burn, and so the the entire point of that area is the fact that you have to take a flaming torch from where the fire pit is, and get it up to that and and lob it at it, um, which obviously isn't is difficult because. If you're holding a flaming torch, you can't hold your big giant sword. You have yeah. to have a oh, right, dagger or something like that. So you really rely on like your teammates to help you, or sheer luck and speed to sprint <laughs> for it and hope that you make it past everybody before they can hack you down, um, or before you get noticed. But that map in particular is actually kind of it takes place at night, so that people see the torch moving about. <laughs> From from a bit further away than the otherwise would. So they instantly yeah. just turn and fire kind of that way. Yeah, the crossbow bolts just whizzing all over the shop. Mm. Yeah, and then you see people chasing after you with their spears going wah. Like <laughs> yeah. one of the best things that they have in the game is uh, if it's the C key on PC is it's war cry, and it basically pops up. You know, you should war cry as you're going into battle and stuff like that. So you basically just push the button and all the characters go wah. <laughs> yeah, it's that sort of thing. Brilliant. Uh, just a kind of default kind of emote thing. So that's what everybody does. You just charge forward and right. do that. And then you know, if you get down, you can get picked up and kind of like revive. You know, you can maybe get a second chance depending on how you get killed, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can do that, and that that tends to be the greeting of uh, thank you is just wah. <laughs> 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 People <laughs> just because it's the easiest key to hit. Instead of using the actual emote system they've got, because uh, they they do have a few other ones that are a bit more specific, but sometimes just is enough. <laughs> right, um, it, it definitely fits with the uh, maniacal kind of gameplay that you've described. <laughs> that the, the way that you communicate is to just yeah. scream at each other. Yeah, I mean, it's no Sounds different right. to Twitter, isn't it? <laughs> it's me. It's, it's Twitter with more sharp objects than than anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's one because it's so it's so universal. It's easy because it's yay for victory or oh no ah, <laughs> or, I gotcha. oh I missed with my axe or oh, I got him way yeah or thank you for getting me up or yeah or oh that guy got away well oh, we'll chase after him yeah it, it covers kind of everything in that way because <laughs> <laughs> people just spam it for everything it's great brilliant um, it, it fits um, the tone perfectly what are your kind of uh just to round us out for the chat about sort of shifuru uh what kind of like your final thoughts i suppose for the for the time that you've had with it so far uh, i think my final thought is throwing axes is great yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
just because nice. there's nothing better than catching people by surprise by just absolutely hoofing a weapon at them from distance that mm. they're not expecting because because it, it creates some I've, I've absolutely been like shaking with laughter at some of the stuff that's just happened on screen because you're like having a fight with someone and then i'll just like lob it thinking that you know that'll be the final blow and like you miss the first guy and you hit somebody behind them and kill them instead <laughs> <laughs> you know and things like that. that's where the, there's all this stuff where as i said you know it, there is a lot of skill to it, but there is this just insane madcap element of there's there's sixty four players in a match, or well, in, in the the kind of biggest mode there is, uh, mm. there's a kind of uh, forty player mode that's twenty v twenty instead. Uh, but I've been playing mostly the the sixty four player one. I mean, and it sounds a lot that, like Battlefield in that way, where it's like yeah. actually like the uber big map modes where you've got to do a thing and then maybe another thing or like. Uh, there's a billion yeah. people. That's like where the juice of the yeah. game and its scale yeah. really makes you feel, you know, like you're doing yeah. a big thing. Yeah, uh, and I feel like the the maps are really well scaled for that because, uh, like the objective based ones and stuff like that, have they're they're big enough that there's options available to you that you can kind of sneak around and flank positions and there's choke points and stuff. So there is that. It, it funnels people into conflict and in interesting places where you're going to get that feels kind of natural mm. um, without feeling too broad and sprawling that you don't see anyone for ages which was one of the problems Battlefield used to have it's particularly if you, you go from playing Call of Duty which was always very tight maps and you switch yeah. to Battlefield and suddenly you'd be like I've been running along this place for fucking ages and I barely made it to the first objective like how does this work and then people are like oh yeah by the way vehicles spawn at the base you're supposed to get in one of those and like that makes more sense. That's why this is so big. <laughs> uh, you jump in your jeep and you drive all the way along to the first objective and then get sniped by someone uh, miles away. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it, it's it feels that it's the right mix of compact and with with enough options. So you you know there are different choke points and different things. But so if you find yourself like over in this kind of left passageway really struggling, well, you might as well the next time you spawn in try the right. And go yeah. down that path, and maybe there's less of them over on that side because they're all defending the left, and that's why you keep getting smacked about on that side is because there's lots of them there, but not as many on the other side, and you know, you sometimes do that. So it, it creates its own fun in that way. It's very well designed properly in that way, I would say. Amazing. Um, sorry, that that wasn't a very good final thought. That was more like a final five thoughts. No, that's fine. I think that's a great final thought it's, because you, 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 you did well. You had more to say and you did it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, good. So that's Chivalry 2. Thank you, Adam, for um, coming and chatting to us about yeah. it as well. It's, it's, it's one of those where I've seen, yeah. a, I've seen a few videos of it and thought, this is really kind of interesting, but yeah. how easy is this to kind of get into? And kind of from what you're saying, sounds really easy to kind of get into. Yeah, because, I mean, anyone can click the button just to swing the sword about. Yeah. Uh, it, it is it's very handy learn-by-doing game in that way because it, it fits perfectly into the... The same way that, like, Tetris or Pac-Man or that is very easy to understand the controls of. Mm. But mm. there's a lot more skill involved in learning the right way of doing it that you get into the higher levels of play. You know, so everyone can play Pac-Man, but only... People who spend the time to get good at it get, you know, into the high score and 
the end game and completing a lot of the levels sort of idea. It's got it fits into that mold very well. Mm. Um, I, I have written some stuff up for for the site. Uh, I just nice. need to sift through some of the stuff I've saved so that I can clip out some some bits to put on as well, just so people mm. see what I mean. But Perfect. Mo- most of that is gonna almost certainly contain some axe throwing <laughs> because that's I mean, the bits that make yeah. me laugh the most. <laughs> Uh, so there'll be a really? bit of ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> that's exactly to be how it goes I um, mean that's all we need really <laughs> so yeah good yeah. Um, should we open some more beers up um, yeah I'm game I, I know Adol you, you smashed through that first beer what are you I, I warned you now? I would yeah <laughs> so do you want me to start yeah yeah what, what, what are you going to open up next I've got from Hammerton the City of Cake it's Ooh. a chocolate fudge cake stout. It is 5.5%. A deep and rich chocolate milk stout balancing roasted coffee, chocolate notes with a sweetness followed with fudge and caramel aromas. Is that a beer or a dessert? Uh, I mean, <laughs> ¿por qué no los dos, Jeff? Um, yeah, so it's got lactose along with barley, wheat, um, hops and yeast. Uh, but yeah. I'm curious how much chocolate fudge cake this will be. It's mm-hmm. uh, did I say the percentage? I don't know if I did. I'm just waiting on you now to get five point five knife and, and cut the the can in half. The goat was a cake. Oh, long. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> if they haven't made that as their advertisement, they they're doing it wrong. I mean, it's it's an out of date meme at this point, but it's still funny. <laughs> yes, but I think it would fit very very well. Um, so uh, I am going to open Bigger Pigs, which is a West Coast double IPA from Verdant. Um, I think they've got a beer called Pigs, 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 Pigs. Lots of pigs. Um, is that a beer but or yeah. a breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> this Bigger Pigs, a West Coast double IPA, has got lots of stuff in. Columbus, Chinook, Simcoe, Amarillo, Cascade, Centennial on the hot side. And then on the cold side, Simcoe, Centennial, Amarillo, Cascade, and Columbus. Lots of the same hop again. I still don't know with Verdant what hot side and cold side is. We'll have to talk to them about it, I guess, at some point. But yeah, an 8% double IPA, West Coast double IPA from Verdant. So, big expectation, Mm. I think, from this. We shall see. We shall see. Uh, as I pour out, I will come back to you. Um, yeah, sure. It's um, poured a, a pretty thick head that's basically not moved at all. Big bubbles, very creamy looking. On the nose, I'm getting um, I'm getting chocolate. I'm getting sweetness, and then a bit of roasted, bur- slightly burnt malts. Um, so mm. kind of exactly what you think. Mostly it's that sweetness, which, again, I'm surprised a bit because it's only 5.5% for a stout, but it does smell quite sweet. So it has a thickness and a creaminess, um, which I think is coming from the the sweetness, the fact that, you know, you've got the lactose that isn't um, being um, eaten by the yeast. But it's quite thin, I noticed, like... Mm. The actual mouthfeel, it's like quite wet. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, this is nice. This is this all sip. Um, I'm getting um, 
Hmm. So I'm just a little shocked by how much that burnt, slightly acrid, like burnt malt taste is coming through. Mm-hmm. Because I would have expected it to be a few steps below the sweetness, but it seems... Okay, I think I'm getting used to it. So I've got um, sweetness. I've got these burnt sort of coffee-like um, notes rather than chocolate notes, which I'm mm-hmm. kind of surprised. Um, and then the sweetness is coming, and I think what it is is it's these like burnt malt notes, and it's just like more like cacao like raw chocolate and i'm thinking chocolate fudge cake stout is very like sweet not super dark chocolatey more milk chocolatey taste and this is like the chocolatey notes are much closer to yeah not non-sweet right bitter these are this is bitter chocolatey tastes with a bit of coffee and i think i'm i'll lean to coffee at first because i was like oh this is too burnt and bitter but actually i think what it is is like what if you made a chocolate fudge cake with like almost very little sugar (laughs) like just a really chocolatey rich dark cake but that's not really Mm. where i think of the fudge so it's just a little thrown off i think the the moniker doesn't quite fit but this is a rich very like dark chocolatey with some sweetness uh and some really nice coffee notes okay nice Stout and it's five point five percent. That's not sessionable, really. Like this is actually, I've had sort of weaker stouts recently, and even though this is much sweeter than I normally would go, because it's got so much of that bitter roasted back end, I'm like, oh, this is this feels this is punching above its weight ABV wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, as um, so I'm just staring at the tin that um yeah as i'm drinking it i'm like i can't believe this is so this is only 5.5 percent i'm actually kind of glad i was a little wary about how sweet sickly chocolatey it might be and it's just nowhere near that so i think it's more more like a dark chocolate cake than a fudge cake but maybe i just haven't had the right fudges possibly how many how many british fudges have you had upwards of two (laughs) (laughs) that's a that's a very low number to be upwards of (laughs) well yeah but i mean the sky's the limit yeah (laughs) who knows how many that's true no not much to compare to though (laughs) um but yeah fair absolutely fair cool um bigger pigs then Mm. it's a nice nose a lovely nose like Almost a little bit kind of like honeycomb mm. on the nose, which is really interesting. But kind of conveys that little bit of that that West Coast kind of beer. You know, you, you I feel like this. I'm going to have some of this. I'm going to get some flavors, and then I'm just going to get this big bitter kind of finish to it. Very very light in color. Um, a little little translucent, not massively. A little. It's a bit hazy, but you can. You can see my thumb swinging away behind the uh, behind mm. the there. Hmm. It's maybe not quite as bitter as I was expecting. It's very, very again another really light beer. Not something that's smashing me with kind of a big flavour. 
It's very delicate. I don't know whether, like, there's so many hops in this. Do you think they're, like, kind of pushing like, each yeah, other I mean, like, away rather Colum- than bringing themselves up? Yes. So Columbus, Chinook, Simcoe, Amarillo, Cascade, Centennial. Like, you feel that they would go, they're the kind of hops that you feel would go very well together. But expecting a much more fruity, but bigger and piney, bitter kind of beer from some of these. Knowing kind of how like Cascade or Chinook or Centennial can kind of work on the finish mm. and how that can kind of give you that big bit of finish. But then getting a little bit more fruitiness and kind of, and still a pininess, but still a bit more fruitiness from sort of like the Simcoe. This sort of just gives me a very malty, almost bready into this kind of slightly sweet honeycomb beer into then that piney finish but really really light piney finish Mm. like there's absolutely no way I would say this was 8% none whatsoever it feels like it's 4.5% like session version of a west coast IPA um, really, really light. I mean, incredibly dangerous. Incredibly easy <laughs> to drink. It sounds like the you opposite could... of mine, which is punching above its weight. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it feels like the two beers are kind of the opposite of what they are, almost. Um, and I get a little bit more, like that, that, that pininess is lingering more. So the more that I then drink the beer the more the pininess snap finish is more prevalent and, and, and sticks out more and, and um, turns up earlier in that in you know in that sort of taste curve once I've supped it again. So like I have some now. And there's a little bit of maltiness and then we're straight into that pininess. So now being, you know, half of what I poured kind of through, about a quarter of the can, that's mm. really kind of kicked in now to being like Right, you've acclimatized. Your palate knows what's going on. Here is all that kind of pininess. This is this is what you're getting now. And what's nice in that, and I, 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 I don't know whether we fall into a trap of kind of initial flavors of a of a beer, but what's nice now is that I'm getting a few more kind of flavors as well. So as that pininess is my my palate acclimatizes to that pineness and I understand that it is there and it exists and that is the main sort of crux of the flavor mm. but there are other notes in there as well which have turned up kind of on the finish a little bit more there's a and there is a slight hint of grapefruit in there which is right in the back like really far in the back but comes through more now I've drunk it a little bit more and stuff. So, um, I, I, again, as with the um, Shkadazaka, which did change with that lack of carbonation towards the end, mm. I think this will change as well. So, I will return to both of these beers uh, at the end of the episode when we Sounds run good. down uh, what we have drunk for the evening. But, yeah, I think both of my beers have, have kind of... Uh, those initial first initial thoughts on them aren't maybe as reflective 
of the beer as the full experience of it is. Um, you know, some beers we have, it initially hits you, you know exactly what it's trying to do, you get the full flavour curve or profile from it, and it doesn't do kind of like much more than that. Whereas I think we're starting to get beers which present themselves a little bit lighter to start and actually then develop more as your palate acclimatizes to them and starts to present and unfold with different flavors and things so we'll return to it i've just poured oh no i've just poured the entire can in i don't know if you can see no i'm not sure are you using sediment i got lots of little floating sediment oh yeah bits i, I, I couldn't tell if that was just the light but no that was actually yeah well i just Less dumped good. the rest of the can into the glass Obviously, came with a few little friends, which is fine. That's fine. Quite mine. Did it give you a heads up I... on the can that it was? No. Bigger pigs. Nothing. Mm. Nothing. It's verdant. Fair. They 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 tell you nothing. Uh, they do say the hops, but that's fine. So let's move on with the mm-hmm. uh, the rest of our topics for this week. Adol, I'll let you jump in. Oh, it's uh, me. I think you're you're going to talk about a game which you played today. I did on First Looks, which if mm. you want to, you can catch me at noon British Standard Time on twitch.tv slash out of lives network. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, where I play, take take a look at a game that's newish. This game came out last month, this month, June 1st. <laughs> Let's try that again. Uh, this movie, game came out June 1st. It's a small uh, indie developed thing by Horentius. It's called A Night Before the Deadline. It's a story about a developer who stayed till late night at the office, but something strange is happening. Is he tired? Is he going mad? Help Joe to finish his work and solve the mysteries. Um, Code was given to us through one of the key engine press things. This was Keymailer. And it's... I, I think if you just ran through the game, it would take about 30 minutes. took me close to 45, but I think I... I mean, I spent a lot of time, like, walking around and, like, talking to the stream. And it's mm-hmm. it's basically a, a, a not quite an adventure game because although there are, like, minor puzzles and things, it's very railroad-locked. So you see a key card. You can't pick it up. You three... like. Ten minutes later, it says you need a key card, and then it turned. Now it's highlighted to be interactable, but there's no interacting outside of the very linear line of gameplay. Yeah. Um, and it's basically uh sort of a lo-fi poly- polygonal art style, um, kind of like uh Tiny Lens and Sizable. We've talked about those diorama mm-hmm. games. Um, and similarly, it has a really good because it's at lo-fi. It's got really good lighting, which I took a couple of moments to, to appreciate. Um, you get good shadows cast from office lighting on things like um, fire extinguishers or like the light coming through the blinds of an office. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it looks pretty good. Um, the only thing that I mean it doesn't do is like mirrors or reflections, but that's fine because mm-hmm. it's lo-fi. Um, and yeah, it, it very simple game. Um, like I said, big big complaint I had was just, oh, I can't, I can't sequence break at all. Like I'm, I'm not allowed um, seeing a thing and picking it up. Uh, 
it's short. It's two pounds eighty nine, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you want forty five minutes of just wandering around in a cool in, in an office by yourself, that's fine. Uh, I think there's it's one of. It, it, it was fine, I think. Um, I think, unfortunately, that's most people's working environments at the moment. So I don't, yeah. I don't know whether uh, you want. Well, to I mean, I think it's novel to be in an empty office instead of at home. And sure. I think part of the thing is, yeah. hey, you work. And this looks like a big company, and it's like we have to deploy the project, and there's no one else there, and so you have to launch. the Yeah. Project. <laughs> And like you're getting calls and text from someone mysterious. There's like a secret twist at the end, um, and you get calls from your boss who tells you to finally he tells you to pick up the key card and then you can. But it's just like I don't know for for a like development to make it a bigger company. It made it really it felt really kind of silly that no one was supporting you and that you had to basically break into the sysadmin's office. Spoiler alert, that's one of the later things you do in the game to deploy the project. And you're like, that's what? I don't know. It just, <laughs> and I, I don't want to spoil the twist because I don't think it's worth spoiling if people are interested. But it just, even with the twist, doesn't really make sense. And then most of the gameplay is looking for yellow USB keys all over the map and getting slowly getting access to more rooms in this big building. And then it's like you get all the USB keys and then you walk to a computer and you have a mini game to put the code fragments that are on these USB keys together. And again, I maybe I'm just stuck too stuck in the real world today because I just was like, so wait, this company just had a project that needed to be done, but it wasn't finished, and all the people working on it just left their bits totally not connected on a, ver- a series of abandoned USB keys, including the women's bathroom. And I'm the so like, it just I don't know. I, I felt like that could have been a little less clunky. Like there were other computers, maybe like going to other computer, like having something else. I don't know how much. I mm-hmm. suspect it's a one person shop, but it just. It was fine for the first couple chunks, but then it's like, find 20 of these things. It's like, okay, I get you want me to walk around your re- cool office rendering, but not just to pick up keys. And there was nothing else to interact with, really. Like, which, it's a it's a short game. I just felt like the gameplay wasn't there. And then, like, the mini games, one of them was a color blocking game that it also, like, it was very unclear with it, it like it was super handholdy for until the first mini game and then it's just like click a thing order them i'm fine with figuring out the ordering pattern but you could pick from the left or the right basically you had like two columns of blocks and a center column and if you and you pick one and it's like three blocks and then that x's out the thing on the right for those three blocks length if that makes sense mm-hmm. and then you could click either left or right for the next next chunk, and these represented the USB fragment code fragments you collected. But it was so un- unintuitive that it's like, oh, if I did this wrong, or if I picked this block, what if I wanted to pick the one on the right? I can't undo. I have to exit the mini game and re-enter the mini game. And there's no. It was like the one part of, like it was super handholdy until the gameplay, and then it was like, wait, what? And then the yeah. other gameplays were fine. I and you know, it's like a just like busy work, like squashed the bugs attacking a folder and it's literally bugs crawling across your screen um 
Which is fine, but I think also, as Ben pointed out, there were like no effect sounds or no. The music never changed when you went into the mini games, which you'd think like in good design would be hey, I'm now changing from wandering about. I want to indicate that. Now you're in this, especially with a mini game puzzle, to have the drone of the ominous music that is the entirety of this game kind of continue. And then when I'm squashing these bugs, not really hearing a thing. And then one of the other mini games was basically your. It's like. Kind of like a Space Invaders meets Arcan Brick Breaker. Um, mm. And yeah. the little shot, but I'm shooting automatically, and that's not making noises. And when it hits blocks, it's not making noises. And it just felt just a little too light, like the, like the polish wasn't there. Um, well, it, and it's, then it's, it's an interesting yeah. kind of uh, uh, package because it, it kind of when, when stuff started to happen to you, uh, or, like they're getting or to weird the character, stuff. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, when there was a slight kind of bits on the screen which would kind of like block out and stuff and things. And you think, oh, there's, there's something going on here. It kind of made me think, like, jumping into these, like, minigames made me think of kind of like Pony Island in the way that you know, Pony Island was a little bit different that you were you were playing and then there was this kind of like bigger narrative kind of to this thing. And it made me think of that and being like, oh, it's it's there's something, there's this big, they've, they've thrown you straight into this, bigger kind of narrative and then they're making you do these little kind of things but not everything is kind of as it seems but it never really developed more than that apart from kind of like the final reveal really like I was expecting there to be that bigger twist to it and then well, and expand from there a little bit yeah and so like without revealing the twist because I don't think we need to again um, it like you do your last objective, and then it shows a quick cutscene, right? Like, like a not an actual cutscene, but like a machinima style, like an in-game engine cutscene, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it ends kind of abruptly it, with like a couple lines of text, and it ends, and then it's like, wait, what? Oh, that was the end of the game, but also, oh, that's what was going on. But also, the way it did it, it wasn't clear. Like, it was just very unclear what happened because, yeah, because basically there's another version of your character, or at least that character model, who seems to be in that quick, like, that, like, like 20 second cutscene, that's not you, and then you're like, wait, what's going on? And then you, I, like, still don't know what I'm supposed to interpret, and... That's what drew, drew drew me along the 30 minutes was like, okay, so these puzzles are kind of eh, but I mean that and I'm streaming the game, but like puzzles are kind of eh, but I'm not curious about the narrative. And then the narrative kind of just went, Bleh! and then it was like credits and it was like, wait, what? And then I'm still thinking, and I think about it afterwards. I'm like, yeah, I guess <laughs> I don't, and I'm not in the like, oh, not in the, I mean, I think this is an overtouted thing, but like the spinning top that wobbles in the end of Inception. Mm. people talked a bunch about that like it's like i'm yeah. fine with open-ended open interpretable things and this was more like i don't get what you're trying to say and i don't think it's because it can be interpreted in different ways it's because i'm just confused yeah the open-ended um, interpretive endings only work if there's something to interpret mm. like the wobble of the the spinning top that 
is a yeah. through line throughout the entire film and has significance that we understand for the characters involved. And then, so when you get to the end and it wobbles and cuts, it leaves yeah. you with the, oh, well, we know what it could mean if it falls and we could know what it means if it doesn't. And, you know, and what do you think happens? And then that, that opens that out. But you have to have something to interpret for it to work. Yeah, and like I said, I don't want to give out the the yeah. thing because if if it, again, it, like it, it's three quid, yeah, it's like thirty it's, to forty five minutes. Yeah. If if you like that lo fi aesthetic and you want to see a cool environment, like I I think that's a reasonable price. I just so I'm just trying to not yeah. spoil that, but I think yeah, the, the, don't expect the narrative. If you're curious about the narrative and the fact that there are these weird, if you've heard it, like I kind of didn't say this, but we Ben hinted at it, but like things aren't what they seem and that's like the thing that's like you get messages from someone who's like wait don't do this and then like you get static and stuff like within 10 minutes you're like ah okay so something else is going on right yeah and i'm just saying if if that type of narrative is what you are interested in i I don't know if this is a recommend because i don't think you'll enjoy the full narrative because i think it's just a little too clunkily deployed Mm. yeah so when you you first started describing what the game was, the first thing that jumped into my head was, you know, like a kind of very small scale until done sort of environment. Oh, and and then yeah. everything you described after that was uh, <laughs> almost the exact opposite of everything until done does. Yeah, but it's because you you opened with the, you know, you're stuck alone in the office, and is he going mad or is something actually happening? And that's kind of the crux of how until done works. Oh, is there uh, something actually going on here or is it just you being a wee bit but, jumpy and nervous and the choices you make kind of... And, ah, and, so this is... Yeah, I was going to say that yeah, last line is really important. Yeah, so... The choices... Uh, there are no choices in this yeah, game. Yeah, th- so that, that's where I, I started with Autodon and then I realised that it does almost the exact opposite of everything Until Dawn does. So <laughs> it, it, there's no choices. It's very small scale. It's lo-fi instead of photorealism. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's like in every way the opposite of what that is. Um... That's just where my brain space kind of went. Because it, it, it does sound like it would have been a bit more interesting if you had ju- even just the option to pick up some more stuff. Even if Yeah, you I mean, so it. I actually... Yeah, so I think if... It, it, the, the, it's a loving, lovingly rendered office environment for the most part. Like, I have quibbles, which I have quibbles in most games, which is you see a PC, it has no wires connecting it to the monitor, nothing plugged in. Yeah. That happens in all kinds of games. I'm fine with that. But also, the back of the PC looks like a PC from when I worked in IT 10 years ago because it has the, like, green and purple PS2 ports and <laughs> an Ethernet slot. Yeah. And the v- graphics card has a DVI and then an HDMI or something and a VGA slot. Like, it's got three yeah. – like, like, all those things. I like the detail. And there's, like, Funko Pops in people's offices and there's pizza boxes and there's, like – empty cans of i presume energy drinks and like it's all well thought out in that sense versus like generic office in a video game which is nothing like an office yeah Mm. except for the bathrooms which for some reason you open the men's bathroom door and then there's just an empty room with 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 (laughs) with a shelf with cardboard box stored on it and then the bathroom so that i think it does the the design way better than most video games do like it's a really cool place to wander about but then while I'm wandering, you've got an arcade cabinet you put in there, but it doesn't do anything. 
You've got the yeah. Newton's balls, you know, the... Yeah, the click-clack, mm-hmm. yeah. That on the on the boss's desk, I would have... Just let me click it and let it do a little quick animation. Like, I know that's extra work, but I think those little things are what would make that 45 minutes to an hour and a half game, well, 30 minutes to an hour game. Yeah. Just, again, making it feel like I'm in the world, not kind of just... yeah following it, a quick track it, yes. even a, a basic you, you click on a thing and you sort of like pick it up in the sense that like a wee screen pops up with a, a closer up high res image of it and like a wee description mm. oh this is Bob's uh, Funko Pop mm. of X character or whatever a gen- generic copyright free character <laughs> you know that sort of thing just to give you a wee more sense one. of presence yeah mm. especially Goblin if you can two. Yeah, if you're if you're gonna spend all that time designing a very believable and filled out space for a video game, it seems weird that they don't let you really interact with anything in it apart from the very specific things you need. Yeah, when, mm. when you need them, which is also well. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's yeah. the other thing is like it gives me ac- it gave me access to one area. Um, before I needed to collect the USB keys in the area. And it's like, oh, I'll just pick them up now. Can't. Um, And then I went and I did one more thing or two more things. And then all of those became interactable. But because of that and like some like uh, clunky hitboxing, I basically thought they still weren't pick upable because I went and I was like, oh, it hasn't turned green. And I like, yeah, was stuck on a chair. So it was like one step too far away. But I was just like, oh, I guess I can't collect these. And then it turns out I could. And I had to loop back, which is fine because like. I should have tried a little harder at one point, but I also think like when you've made it so that certain things look like they're pickupable and aren't, then I'm going to go. And when I, if I don't immediately see the outline saying I can interact with this. And the point is I needed to like sidestep and then step closer. Cause actually something was blocking me from getting close enough for it to happen basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I'm going to assume, Oh, it's still not time for that, or this is some sort of weird red herring because I still don't know why I couldn't have picked them up before. Yeah, and yeah, so it's 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 little things like that that make it harder to say. Yeah, it's fine, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. like yeah, go for, have fun for thirty minutes. It's like actually, I think you're kind of like it's a cool world, and I, like I said, if you just want to wander around a, an interesting building in that sort of style and like just like kill some time in the sense of like follow a track of gameplay it's, it's less than three quid i like i think that's fine but yeah. i can't say like oh it's great the <laughs> things that this claims to do are things that i want i would like be like yeah do this and it's only three quid i guess is the difference right yeah so yeah it's sort of where i, I stand with it um yeah it happens right and also like it's a one person studio i think i commend the I'm assuming it's a one-person studio because I think the credits had uh, a name, a.k.a. Horentius, which is the studio and the dev and publisher. So, right. you know, like, I'm pretty sure. And, it, like, I don't know where. I couldn't find out before we started whether it came from a game jam or something else. But, like, like I said, it, it it's, it's it, I mean, it didn't break. It just, like... <laughs> I mean, and no wonder, just no wonder you're like confused if you've got a, a very, let's say, cutscene and then credit, and that's it. <laughs> Gone, because it's just the one name. <laughs> yeah. Very short and sweet. So, oh, that, no, that I mean, there over? was a, other people yeah. credited, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. 
cool. Well, uh, so what was it? A night before deadline. A night before the deadline. Uh, before the deadline. Okay. Not the night before a deadline. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's probably copyrighted somewhere. So they had to just uh, just change those words over. Um, yeah. Good. Okay. Fair enough. Nice. Um, so I suppose to round us out for the episode, um, I will jump into um, kind of my discussion point. Um, oh, juicy. Yeah, I've. I've been playing <laughs> a few open world games recently. Hmm. Uh, um, like I, I, open world in a you know in the idea that, that certain areas are leveled and you kind of don't progress through until you're kind of those levels. So I've been playing a lot of Dying Light, which I picked hmm. up on sale. Picked up the platinum edition. On sale after Dying Light 2 was um, revealed. Um, they threw this new version up, which has all of the DLC and everything that Dying Light had to offer in one kind of package. Um, yep. I've also been playing Manhunt, Man Eater, not Manhunter, Man Eater, um, which I've spoken a little bit about on the episode. Uh, but I I've also, also watched you play, and it looked like fun. It's very fun. It's, a, it's an amazingly fun game, as is Dying Light. Dying Light is a very fun game, as is. A game that I've just finished called Wolfenstein Youngblood as well. Oh, um, all Game Pass kind of yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Manita and Wolfenstein Youngblood I played through Game Pass, uh, whereas Dying Light I purchased separately. Um, all are open world Oops. games to an extent. So Dying Light is very much, hey, here's an area, explore it kind of as you want. Uh, Man Eater is here's an here's an area. Explore it, level up, move to the next one. Explore it, level up, move to the next one, and and, and move around the map. Yeah. And um, Wolfenstein Youngblood has lots of areas which aren't really kind of leveled. Like the the, the leveling progresses with you. So people level, you know, enemies level up with you. Irrelevant of which kind of area you go to, it's just. This thing is located in area one, and you have to do that. This thing is located in area two, and you have to do that. This thing is located in area three, and you have to do that. And mm. all of them have the kind of open world sort of tropey elements to them. So there's collectibles. There's little challenges that you can kind of do. There's side missions and these sorts of things. And they all kind of follow that similar kind of formula, but in slightly different sort of ways. And it kind of just got me thinking, like, we've talked about open worlds and, you know, delved into the idea of how do they kind of change? How do they evolve? And and I realized Dying Light is from, like, 2016 or 17. Maneater is now a 2019 game, perhaps? Which Wolfenstein Youngblood is as well. That wasn't a last mm. year game. I think that was a 2019 game. So th- all of these games are a little bit older. But they very much follow the kind of set open world rules that just seem to kind of exist. 
and we have lots of open world games which which Adam you and I absolutely love The Witcher 3 Oh yeah, an open yeah, world yeah. game which follows a lot of You have of my those. attention <laughs> 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 I'll turn around from uh, uh, refilling my glass <laughs> <laughs> well The Witcher 3, an open world game which follows a lot of those open world kind of rules. You know, different areas are are kind of leveled. You've got lots of collectibles that pop up on the map. So The the Witcher 3 has a setting on it that can change it so that all the areas level with you. Also, the higher levels stay higher level than you, but the lower leveled areas level up with you. Mm -hmm. So if you go back Mm. to... The starting area when you're level twenty five, the enemies there are level twenty five too. They might not mm-hmm. be only level three or four when you first encountered them, but they're level twenty five now, yeah, which is an interesting element to that. Cause Absolutely, it, it, it maintains the challenge of the game the whole way through. And the and that's the, really cool. I didn't know yeah. that. It does, yeah. and it, and and that's something that Wolfenstein Youngblood did. So yeah. it's like, hey, now go back to area number one, the first one that you, or yeah. not the first one, the second one that you kind of ran through to go and see this blocked off gate that you couldn't get through before. We're now going to give you access through to that. But even just to get to that, they are all of a level with you and have progressed yeah. up um, to be able to keep that kind of challenge on you. And yeah. I think that's the kind of, like the 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 difference I found with these games, especially say like Dying Light to Wolfenstein Youngblood, is that Dying Light was like the enemies get harder, but they introduce like a new enemy. You know, it's like like yeah. here's a new enemy type which is yeah. which hits you a bit more, which is bigger, which has a little bit more armor and this takes a little bit more to kill. A rocket launcher. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, this one has a big two handed hammer. Yeah. And can crush you in one blow. And I'm like, yeah. all right, cool. I'll just throw stuff at you then. And just stand back and just chuck things until it's dead. An axe, for example. Exactly. <laughs> An axe, yes. Throwing stars. <laughs> Dying Light has a, a, a large array of weapons. Yeah. Um, whereas Wolfenstein felt a little bit more, as as kind of the, the Witcher did, felt a little bit more sort of like frenetic. Like everything is matched to me. And everything feels like a challenge as I'm kind of moving through all of these sorts of things. Um, and, and talking about Man Eater as well, that very much fell into that kind of like former camp that if you went back to area number one to go and find all of the collectibles and do the little side quests that you didn't do, they're all still level three. You just fly through kind of everything. And I don't know whether I... <laughs> so this is this is the the, the the topic at large. Don't know whether I want to play open world games anymore. Like I don't at know all? whether I, or just uh, like you're in open world like I'm not in open world like fatigue. Mm. But well, the question I, I, would, I would ask you is is it do you want to play mediocre open world designs or would you still like interesting ones or ones that use the form very well in a way so that... it depends on how they are laid out right yeah like so i like an open world game but i don't want to be thrown back into area number one yeah to go and have to get key item to progress me kind of through yeah and it be the same challenge either of the original level or even of a matching level. 
I've defeated those things. I've done that. I don't need to just do that, but harder. Mm. I want something different. I want something new. And one of the reasons I really liked, say, the modern reimaginings of Wolfenstein was that they were corridor shooters. That it progressed you through constantly. That it felt like you were moving through this game. And yes, yeah. the enemies were reskinned, they were beefier, they were bigger. They threw more at you at some point of the lower kind of level enemies and made it a little bit more challenging in certain kind of areas and that sort of thing. But that felt like more progression because you were moving through these things rather than say like going back to area one to get X item or do X kind of thing and face the same people that you kind of had. Like something in my mind is sort of saying to me like, I want this very linear corridor kind of shooter experience because I can see very easily those progression steps through this game and how that Mm. works, even if they're throwing at me reskinned enemies and beefier enemies and those sorts of things, rather than place I have been before. And I don't know whether that's an environmental um, issue that I have or whether it is a play issue that I have. The, well, the the question I was thinking of there is in Wolfenstein, uh, Youngblood, how much does your toolset change? Do you get more options of what you do when you encounter the enemies as the as the as the enemies themselves vary, or are you left in the you know kind of very static? You have these types of guns and and grenades and whatever, and that's it. Or is there, or do they introduce more variation because? Again, one of the reasons I think The Witcher 3's world works quite well, particularly the first time through you're going through it, is when you do come back to, to enemies, uh, you keep, if you use the setting where it levels them up to you, they're still challenged, but as you progress and you build your character and you level up, you unlock more and more things to do. So yeah, you can come up against enemies that you really struggled with before, but now mm. you have you've unlocked a couple of extra bombs or you've got the oil now that does the extra damage and and that helps, you know, make those encounters, you can approach them differently because you've extended out your tool set and how you can approach the same encounter, if you know what I mean. And that yeah. gives you the kind of natural variation that the enemies themselves don't necessarily give you because you're going mm. back to a place where you've been. Uh, I wonder, does Wolfenstein do any of that or is, or is Not- the progression entirely because it's different enemy types you're encountering? Nah, I, I mean, not even that. Um, uh, you, you, you do have a wheel of weapons, and you unlock more weapons kind of as you go through, and, and through story progression, you kind of unlock more weapons, and the beefier weapons don't drop ammo anywhere near as much as you kind of would want them to, to, to be like the ultimate kind of killing machine, like to just yeah. have this one, like, four-barreled gun to just hammer through people constantly like you, you run out of ammo of those kinds of things really quickly yeah um but they they do a thing in that like enemy one will have armor on it and mm. the armor is signified on their health bar as a rectangle enemy two will have armor on but their armor is signified as a line and gun mm. number one will take down lines better. Gun number two will oh, take down rectangles better. Right. So yeah. you get into a position where you're like, hey, I've got a load of enemy number one. 
I best used rectangle gun. I've got a load of enemy number two. I best used line gun to best kind of take those down. And you can you can customize these guns and do different things. Um, but a lot of the time, I just use the gun that's the shotgun and just shot them all lots of times with the mm. big shotgun, irrelevant of the armor that they had. So yeah. the thing that they kind of put in place to make it feel a little bit more varied didn't work very well because I kept getting shotgun ammo and I kept shooting them with shotgun and that was fine. Mm. Yeah. It, so and, like, and, and, it, it had an optimal path, but it, the path doesn't matter? Is that the it, idea? It, 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 like, ultimately, yes. It didn't really matter which gun I shot person A with or person B with. They still died. You know, this person dies in four shots. This person right. dies in six shots. It only takes me an extra two seconds to fire off another two shots yeah. into that person to kill them and then move on to the next one. But also, um, with what you're saying, kind of, Adam, is it was like there's seven or eight enemy types. And to mm. progress up through the game, I then met enemy type number one, A. And then the next level, I met enemy type number one, B. And they just had mm. more armor or more life, and they hit you a little bit kind of more. You know, there were those eight or ten different enemies, apart from, say, elite kind of units, um, that just the random, the normal soldiers, which they trickled into you through the first couple of levels. Then it was just, yeah, yeah it's just these guys again and again and again and again, but they're just better now than they were but you're better now than you were so actually that level of difficulty kind of went uh, 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 and just kind of just just stayed with you nothing really felt that hard to do in that game um, and again with uh, to, to come back to say like Maneater that game did exactly the same thing go to next level level up fight stuff that felt just as hard you're now level 15, and all right. of the other things are level 15 to level 18. But in the last era, it was level 10, and everything was level 10 to level 15. Yeah. So the experience here is exactly the same as the experience here, which is then exactly right. the same as the experience in the next kind of set of levels. I, I don't know how we get out of this cycle, yeah, how cause... things are fresh every you know hour of a game. When it's yeah. when it's yeah, on I mean, this open world kind of setting, I I think I'm I'm with Adam's read on. Uh, it's not that you don't like open worlds. It's that open. So not only it's open worlds are in a rut, and you're experiencing that on multiple levels, and it's it's this mediocrity of the experience. But like. Mm -hmm. I know you've not you don't have a switch you've not played Breath of the Wild but like why mm -hmm. Breath of the Wild is one of my favorite open world games that I've never finished is because exploration is what makes that game interesting the, sure. the yeah like the world is what makes it magic right mm -hmm. yeah. versus the world is places to do activities and then the activities have to be real good otherwise I'm what well, just yeah, give me a corridor and I can do a set of activities if the activities are the game. Like, what is the, why is this an open world? I think is yes. one of the best yeah. questions to ask. And so many open world games are open world because it pads the runtime and it's what people think is good because at one point, that, you that, know, that was the go to buzzword for 
the, yeah the, that period of time it's funny you so it's like okay breath of the wild i was gonna say because when ben and i did the uh, horizon forbidden west the state of play kind of talk over that we did when they mm. released that yeah we, we mentioned breath of the wild and the this is mm. that's becoming more and more uh you know the foundation of what open world design is as opposed to the exception whereas the, the kind of previous generation the the foundation of an open world was the ubisoft model mm. of yeah area tower reveal things in area go do things kill all the enemies in the well, camp, and the like and that sort of style whereas breath of the wild one of the reasons it stands out so much is because it's it has all these extra elements to them it has some of those elements in it still obviously because it is an open world but it uses them in a very interesting way and it it broadens everything out in a way that the ubisoft style games didn't because they had the oh yeah you can climb things but you can climb this or that and nothing else yeah or you yeah yeah you can go into this building and that building over there and that really tall building a wee bit down the way but none of the other buildings, whereas mm. obviously Breath of the Wild, the, the main selling point was, if you can see it, you can go there, by and yeah. large, that's kind I of mean, the idea, and that's becoming a bit, like, the from what they showed the Forbidden West, that seems to be kind of the, the line that they're trying to track, and that if mm. you want to go somewhere, you're going to be able to get there. They're, they're, it's not just, why is this an open world, it's also, why is this inner open world? It's a yeah, very interesting think... question for the game design point of view and why they're doing it. Because a lot of the time in the past, the reason you had the, the interesting buildings and the, the skyline and the, the mountain range was because it made the world look bigger, even though you could never yes. go anywhere close to them. Yeah. And now the, the dream is, if it's something you can see, it's something you can go to and Get touch to. And, yeah. and do. There, there might be nothing there. But if you feel like climbing to the very top of the skyscraper just to look out over the or the mountain or whatever, even if there's nothing gameplay related or there's no collectible up at the top or anything, you might still get a really good experience out of that because it's something yeah. you chose to do and you were able to do it. Yeah, I think that's yeah. exactly like like the buzzword of emergent gameplay. It is like it's, it's exploration <laughs> is emergent gameplay yeah right like that's the thing is like if i want to go there and i find a thing that's cool um but also i think one of the smartest things about breath of the wild is that it's there's like five houses or whatever like it's it's very sparse so you can have a explorable place with not a lot of like things to do but find enemies and beat them up in the way that like a any game with cities or people or bustling things yeah. like you have like the people have to be interactable the play the buildings have to be explorable because that's sort of like breath of the wild is very smart um by introducing all of this interactability but in a world that doesn't have a lot of things in it and yeah. now we've we're like well i want if the it's in it i want it to be there for a reason i want to do it and i think yeah what adam is saying is exactly right like this is the problem it's like hey so like i really like the just cause franchise um mm. because it's about doing batshit dumb things right it's about the physics has always been a priority and like the weird tools you get to do dumb things to blow people up and attack your enemies but also mm. like like 
the tether and parachute wing hopping yeah. around the map thing is a thing that they didn't really knew, know, from what I understand. Like, people got figured out how to get around that, the first two Just Causes, in a way that they just leaned into afterwards. But Just Cause 4, the map is ginormous because they did the thing that everyone seemed to want to do at the time, which is, well, if you want an open world, make a big one. And it's like, no, it's the because biggest open all that world we've you, ever made is like, but is there? Yeah, but it's like, oh, it? but oh, yeah, we yeah, you've, you've literally <laughs> given me twice the size of the map with the same number of things to do. Yeah. Which so and now it just takes me like, longer to do them. Yeah, it feels like half as many things to do, even though it's the same because the map is twice as big. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it's a bit like the the dinner plate thing where if the the way you make your meal feel like it's more filling is by having smaller plates because it fills yeah. the plate ergo you've had more food it's the same amount of food but a big plate feels yeah. like less and that's it, the same principle applies and um, when mentioning the, you know, the Ubisoft style as well I think it's about using the tools in an interesting way and having and why is this inner open world is something that like Ghost of Tsushima did very well in its open world design it didn't do anything mm. in particular that broke that Ubisoft mold in the, in that way because it still had um, that kind of area layout and the camps mm. and the stealthing about it. Very a lot of very rightful comparisons in some ways to Assassin's Creed, but everything in the game felt like it was thought out in a way. Yeah, everything was th- fit thematically. Uh, all the collectibles, like following the foxes to the shrines to pick up the like wee items, or like doing the haikus or uh, the hot spring baths and all that. Everything was very thematically fitting, and they didn't pack it with so much stuff that you couldn't move for mm. uh, symbols on the map. And the, the 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 major difference that they had in terms of the design of the open world was the wind mechanic for navigating you around it. Yeah, and mm. then it gave you that extra layer of immersion because it wasn't right pull up the map click on the icon for the thing that i want to do if i can find it or searching for it and then you find the icon that you want to go to and you go so then it tells you where to go and then you close the map and you just follow the waypoint marker you don't look at the world mm. whereas having the wind yeah. mechanic in the game really highlighted how it looked and feeling yeah, like you were part absolutely. of it and directing you in that way within the game itself it's um, like the dead space health bar on your suit thing being yeah. on your back um, yeah absolutely yeah which yeah. is like hey the, you, this is UI and like it actually makes uh, the wind mechanic at least makes sense because you're like oh you use the wind and you and the character can see it The de- yeah. my favourite part about learning about how well thought out that dead space mechanic is is you never see your back. <laughs> so the suit is designed yeah. for other people to just to see you. tell other people yeah. how you doing. <laughs> um, but it, you mean you don't notice that, right? Like the yeah. point is, it still works as it's way like even though it doesn't make logical sense unless you were unless you're thinking in the universe, people yeah. always work in teams. But like yeah. <laughs> it, it makes so much like that yeah. doesn't matter because what it does is it gives you the immersion because yes. Yeah. I'm technically the dude who can only think that way, but f- immersively, I, my field of view yeah. I- includes I'm, that, I'm, and they I'm figured out a way of the making the world r- running down the corridor. Yeah, even though I'm also being things. the guy. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. they realized they could they could like conflate those. Yeah, because 
your point of view and your character's point of view are slightly different, but you're just going to be a, you're going to be as immersed from the frame on the screen, even yeah. if it doesn't make sense. And then you don't have this fucking thing that's like, you know, seven red dots and an eighty percent or whatever. Yeah. What a well that I just described the worst way of doing health <laughs> in the UI. A percentage and dots and seven means eighty. Oh, so, someone I take back all the things done. I've said about bad game design. <laughs> Someone has absolutely done that, though. There will be a screenshot out oh, there yeah. somewhere. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> it's absolutely definitely happened. Yeah. Um, Good. Um, a, a nice little chat. I'm, I'm glad we. There's lots of parts of different games that we can kind of look to, at least, to see maybe where features can be taken from to kind of progress mm. this. And I, I've got no doubt that there are teams kind of working on the next open world games who 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 have these same thoughts and we think now that maybe this game this game it, it's very rote to do this this game did this and we don't feel that but it did do this which we do feel so let's let's have a look at taking that and i think maybe like ghost of tsushima but, but, but absolutely horizon zero dawn was almost mm. kind of criticized as being a game which pulled a lot of different things from different kind of open world games but i think then did that quite successfully and i mean whilst criticizing growth is dumb it's like we can we can see that you've taken that from this and we can see that you've yeah. taken that from this and we can see that you've taken that. so like yeah but we've yeah. decided to take the best parts of those things yeah it's always the, it's, it's the difference together. between being inspired and uh, copying. <laughs> yes, you know, like le- lifting something wholesale and just putting it in your game. You you need to think that where where they've went astray a lot of the time is the fact that, like we kind of talked about with buds words that that people get. Well, I imagine it's the kind of higher up executives who are looking at the big gigantic excel spreadsheets with the humongous numbers on it that panic yeah. every time one of them is ever so slightly less uh, than it was before that get bogged down in the oh well assassin's creed had towers in it and that's super successful so obviously it's because the towers are in it so put towers in our game but <laughs> but we're a ship based sea thing like what towers can be possible <laughs> just fucking do it because that's what they have to have and then the, the open world makes less sense because they've they felt the need to put this thing in or that thing mm. in or or they've or they do the well the Ubisoft open world design is successful so we'll just kind of copy that and build our game kind of around it as opposed to taking this is the game we want to make and mm-hmm. building an open world into that that makes sense if that's the game they want to make uh, yeah or, or like Ubisoft. Off. They look and say this game X was successful. Let's put five these things. Let's just let's just <laughs> fucking keep doing exactly the same thing in all of the games. Doesn't matter what yeah. the game is, just do the same thing. Yeah. So it's it's a bit of Ben. Is it mediocre open world? Do you think you're just a bit tired of then, or do you think <laughs> it's the, there's something inherent in the form? Because I think you were mentioning... the ultimate question to finish on. Yeah, I think it's it's something inherent in the current state of open world games. Yeah, because because you're mentioning about the not feeling like you were getting the progress that you wanted, and mm. I'm trying to think. I was trying to think of ways open worlds can do that. 
in mm. the in the way that that gives you that that linear feel like you were talking about of progression that that's inherently obvious to you because you're stepping down the corridor toward the mm-hmm. next objective, whatever it may be, and you feel the progression just naturally through that because you're going from the start of the story to the middle to the end that open worlds often don't have well, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of there's, meandering about yeah but there's, yeah. there's kind of incremental ways that things can do that right so it's like yeah. you know irrelevant of kind of like the setting or whatever suddenly however you do it you get like 25 more health right whether that's through <laughs> yeah. some kind of upgrade or whatever that is in, in said setting but a lot of the times enemies then also then just have 25% more damage or they've got more health or something. And I think it's it's easing that way through, right? It's being like, yeah. right, I've got 25% more health. And then feeling that and actually facing the same kind of enemies for a certain amount of time being like, oh no, I do, I feel, I know, I can feel this upgrade I know exactly that I have, whether it's 25% more health, whether it's more uh, damage that you kind of deal, it's being able to feel that within the game and it then Mm. incrementally increasing the difficulty along with you. So rather than it being, I have new thing, everything now matches me, I have new thing, everything now matches me, or I am X level, I go to new area full of X level creatures. It's like, Oh, for the next 20 minutes, I feel a little bit overpowered. I feel that progression. There's there's something there which suggests to me that I have had a bit of progression. I have had that upgrade. And then it incrementally pulls you back to that kind of starting position. So actually the challenge then is presented to you again. And, And just before you get that upgrade it's got you to a point where things are a little bit harder where you have to feel where where you feel like shit i'm not as i'm not as prepared for this as i feel like i should be you achieve that and then you move into that next upgrade yeah. kind of thing like and and that's only one solution to that there'll be other ways of being able to kind of progress you through like these these open world kind of areas and whether it's reactive to you whether it's a slow kind of reaction whether it is moving you through different leveled areas but in a way that doesn't feel kind of like that you know and it can be here is open world this quarter is this this quarter is this this quarter is this and Mm. actually everything keeps you in this area but then throws you over here at a certain point and then throws you over here and that's you know it it, it does it through the way that it kind of questions you about the air the the map and stuff Uh, that that there will be ways of being able to kind of do this because i think a a lot of open worlds games and their design the way that people would say they give you that is by the fact that you go back to areas where you are over leveled and that's mm. that, that's the high people a lot a lot of players chase is oh, i've been grinding away and struggling and you come kind of back from like mm. a dungeon area or something like that where you're all beaten to hell and you go back to the town you repair all your gear and stuff and then just outside town is something that kicked your ass, you know, three hours ago that you go up yeah. and go bink! Oh yeah. Goodbye! <laughs> yeah. And and that's where it gives you that, whereas I think the struggle or the, what you're looking for is it doing that without you having to step back the way to feel the progress, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. I think and that's I, I, where the, I think you're right that a lot of them don't 
or struggle with balancing that because that is the the, the problem that like why I don't play like the Souls games is because they are too difficult all of the time. <laughs> I you know like anyone has ever they, their games I appreciate the design philosophy of from afar in the sense that I, re- I understand what they do, understand why they're so exceptional and why people love them so much. But that's not how I play games. I'm not sure, tuned in yeah. to that level. It's yeah. it's only after I've finished the game. Which is what I did with like so Witcher Three is I, I finished that game on normal the first time, and because I was be- mm. so much better at the game having spent eighty odd hours finishing the original quest line or whatever it was the first time around, I went into like the new game plus, and then bumped up yeah. the difficulty up, mm. and then gave my and then ticked the box that said yeah level everything up so it maintains its pace with me, instead of going back to areas and discovering level five monsters now and I'm. And yeah. I'm level forty five, <laughs> you know, and you know, and that sort of thing. And yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think I think you've, you've you've hit a good point there, Ben, which is that, especially because with open world games now, they tend to be padded and they tend to be more grindy. Like that's the biggest complaints about the more recent Assassin's Creed games is like, oh, you want us to pay for the microtransactions to get. Yeah. faster because that's the mm. pace the game was actually designed at mm. which is another conversation but like yeah if, if the game is basically giving you new abilities and you're getting better and it still feels exactly the same then then there's no it, it, it'd be it's like why do people go running why do people weight lift etc one of the reasons is because like the the number goes up and you feel like you're doing different you're like ah right that's like I ran further today. I, I, you know, leg pressed yeah. more. That's like established yeah. psychological thing, and mm-hmm. games feed into that. Yeah. And what I, you're pointing I, out I is these open world games them. don't. Yeah. Right. Like if 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 now not not only am I getting like not only do I think I'm playing better and I have more skills, I'm still taking seven minutes to kill this or mini boss that I killed seven like with fewer skills. Seven like it took me seven minutes or whatever. Like. I still have to hit this thing five times in two dodges, and what? But that's like the first time I bumped into him. Like that—that's what you're saying, right? It's like it's taking away why we like the progress of a game, which mm-hmm. is the feeling like you're progressing. In fact, you feel like you're just treading water, and yet you have more skills, which is even worse, right? Like then it's just dissonance. It's like I have more tools in my toolkit. This should be easier. And you're right. I think it—it's a—it's this tension of. Wanting the game to be dynamically difficult, but giving the user, the ga- the gamer, the customer, whatever you yeah. want to call us, like the player, that's the word I'm looking for, <laughs> um, giving the player, yeah. um, like a consistent challenge and a sense of accomplishment. And I, I yeah, I like, I like the idea of different game modes. Mm-hmm. Versus generically being like, hey, yeah, remember how you started this game with like a pistol and a melee and you kicked like this type of soldier's ass in the beginning and it took you a bit. Now you've got seven guns and he's just a health sponge for no reason. He looks exactly like that first guy you killed. Like, yeah, but I also think a lot of that is because increasing difficulty in these like shitty ways, like give me. It would be cooler if you had more dynamically AI'd enemies and they started appearing because of 
narrative reasons in the older areas mm. or something. So I yeah. can still own this stupid, d- dumb grunt, but he's not alone. Yes. Like yeah. things like that are like well more designed like, uh, and the, like the, presumably the, your narrative would have to tell uh, that, right? Completely. The idea that like say in Ghost of Tsushima suddenly there's more people, more enemies there because they're scared of you because yeah. you've been there and yeah. you've killed them all and they're like, "Well shit, we can't just put these guys there anymore." Yeah. We have we, to we put... heard what happened to the other camp exactly. so we beefed up yeah. the So we beefed the them up. Here. We, we yeah. brought more people in like, yeah. Yeah, yeah that but, idea yeah. that things was... progress with you a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Cuz I was going to say that one of the things that I find that, that pulls me through these is how they fit thematically in that way. And mm-hmm. Ghost of Tsushima is a brilliant example of it where the risk and reward of that game is really finely balanced in a really interesting way because you don't really have a lot of health, but it doesn't mm. feel unfair because you're fighting using, you know, katanas. Yeah. Famously, everybody knows they're really really fucking sharp <laughs> and cut through <laughs> stuff really really well so it wouldn't make sense for the enemies to be able to take like 15 20 hits from your katana before they die and it wouldn't yep. make sense for you to take mm. that many either mm. and so it fits thematically in that way that you're always never very far away from being killed and losing the fights but as the game progresses, you're given more and more of these different tools to approach the very and as you encounter different enemy types to shift the odds in your favor. Yeah, there's more of them. Yeah, now there's one that 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 does this and is, you know, uh, you know, you have your like brute types or you have more archer type ones or you know, and more mm. problems to overcome. But you have more and more of these tools. So even though. The, the enemies do scale in difficulty. It's not because they have an arbitrary health boost in, that, in the way that becomes very annoying in a game like Destiny is a good example where the bosses are just really big bullet sponges mm. and the more difficult enemies are just have more health. They aren't always necessarily more dangerous and that's where a lot of people have complaints with that kind of style of how they've created their game in that way. Mm. Whereas Ghost of Tsushima, everything... Because the weapons you're using are really deadly, everything, mm. every encounter feels dangerous. And the more abilities and uh, tools and different things you unlock that you can use, and as you get better at using them, you you feel the progress in that way. Because you go, well, I struggled against two or three of these guys at the start of the game, and now I'm fighting twenty on, and feel like I'm holding my own, and I'm not struggling too badly. And if I am struggling, I do have. You know, like we throwing knives to throw at them that they're not expecting that I didn't have yeah, to begin with, or the, or the, the we smoke bombs or whatever yeah. you know, and and those kind of things. And that's where Horizon does that really well because mm. the the robot robot dinosaur creature stuff, the machines feel incredibly dangerous mm-hmm. in the way that you're just a you know pokey human hunting them down and stuff with a bow and yeah. arrow and a spear. So the mismatch in those feels never goes away because of that inherent conflict in the design, that inherent misstep because they're made of metal and have, some of them have machine guns or razor claws or whatever and you don't. <laughs> yeah. And then the Witcher has that because monsters are always dangerous 
and particularly when you play in the higher difficulties, I tend and when I play that game on the highest difficulty, which is Death March, mm. I have more trouble in that game fighting off drowners than I do the really big scary griffins yes. and golems and stuff. Because the mm. drowners come in packs of mm. maybe four or five. And if you're not careful, it only takes two hits and you're dead. Yeah. Which which fits very well thematically in the world, just in the way that that's designed, in the way that, uh, you know, the, the, the books, uh, the, the fiction of that world exists. Hunting monsters is incredibly dangerous. The reason only witchers do it is because they have that, the mutations, the superhuman skills to be able to do it. Mm. And if they get it wrong, they die. And that's mm. that's the reality that Geralt and Vesemir and all that live with every day. Absolutely. That's, that is the the trade-off they have for you know the the skills they have and that they yeah they can take on 20 odd human guys but a couple of drowners is actually a way more challenging prospect than you'd think it is even though they're sort of a what you consider kind of your tweedly kind of tier one enemy as opposed to the tier 10 like super god bosses that you expect to encounter in rpgs and struggle with Mm. yeah nice it is, it's a thematic thing that helps yeah. me get, get over that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. cool. What you're saying, so, like, with not feeling uh, like you progress in that way sometimes. I feel like I, I get my progression not through, or my feeling of progression not through feeling like I'm overpowering enemies in that way that a lot of people sometimes chase. I get mm. it through the feeling that finely balanced thing and feeling like I'm coping with the encounters better, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Good, yeah. good, um, nice. A lot of uh, a lot of ideas there about how things yeah. can kind of evolve and, and, the, and the issues that are in there. Nice, yeah. a, a good good chat about that uh, and, and open worlds and yeah, some of the games that um, I've been playing recently and how they could possibly change in the future. Mm. Nice. Good. Um, let's finish there for this evening. Then uh, we will jump back to our beers. Um, I think for me. Um, I will jump straight in and say I really enjoyed both beers actually in the end even though they seemed kind of a bit not necessarily one note but kind of gave you that initial flavour and it was a bit kind of like mm, they both evolved mm. they both gave me a little bit more kind of towards the end um, that that lack of carbonation in the Galazaka actually helped it a little bit and the bigger pigs as well the the, the flavour kind of unfolded to give me a little bit more, a little bit more fruity delicate kind of flavours as I drank it hard to pick out between the two very two very different beers but I think I might give it to the Galazaka just because it's a little bit more sessionable, I would have absolutely grabbed another one I think after that and, and, and opened it and left it for kind of 10 minutes before I then went and drank it mm. because of that carbonation to it. But I think that one sticks out a little bit more for me this evening. Um, so it's the Arbor Galazaka for me tonight. Uh, Adol, did you have a preference this evening? Yeah. I, I like them both. Uh, I think I'm going to go for the City of Cake. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reasons are it doesn't taste like cake. Um, so because, I re- because I really like cake all along. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the yuzu citron mosaic IPA was really good and like a good hot day drink. Um, it was it did a thing and it did it well. I guess yeah. like there wasn't a lot else going on, and the way the sweetness and the citrus came together was just uh, exactly what I needed after day. 
of being variably hot. Um, but the Hammerton City of Cake, I, I, I mean, I think it's not accurate on the tin. It's not really like chocolate fudge cake stout, but it's a very good chocolatey stout. Like the cakiness, I feel, is just because it's got some the lactose and some sweetness, but so much of the taste and what I liked about it was that bitter chocolate and those roasted more coffee-like notes, which don't really match the label. Like it's one thing to say, oh, it's just a very dark chocolatey fudge, but again, there's these like roasted, burnt, slightly acrid notes that really made it feel more full-bodied. Um, I liked that, unless I was paying attention, that it, it was, like I said, it punched above its weight. It felt like a very full stout. And at 5.5%, that's usually not the case. Usually these things, they, they end up being a little thin. And this just did not taste thin. I could only notice that it was sort of lower ABV than like a uh, other stouts. Is, is that there was just the texture was, was actually quite wet and like thin. But everything else was full-bodied. And like I said like not it's it's a the chocolatiness is like a dark rich chocolate rather than a milk chocolate so all again punching above its weight so i really liked it they're both good beers so would be happy i i you you'd, in, after a sunny day you want the yuzu as an aperitif slash you know slightly chillier day or just wanting something a little more full-bodied you'd go for the city of cake um but I, i'm giving it to the city of cake but i think you'd be happy with either perfect perfect um, so there are beers there are the games that we have played this evening if you'd like to talk to us about games or beers you can get us at Tag Tubcast on most of the socials we are on the Out of Lives network at outoflives.net um, no www.outoflives.net or out, at outoflives.net on the socials go to the website join us on the socials come and chat to us about all things I'm at Nova underscore 47 Adel is at the Omniots Adam is at apt snap Correct. Yep. Yes. APT yep. snack. Yep, that's right. Perfect. Um, as Adel has just jumped into the Discord chat, uh, the Twitch chat, and thrown up the Discord, come and chat to us in the Discord. There's lots of ways that you can find that. It's on the um, Twitter as well, uh, and on the Facebook page, or ping one of us, and we can invite you over to that Discord. That is everything this week. Adam. I mean... Oh, go on, please. It's... it's- Prime Day. Um, okay. So in the spirit of Prime Day, um, subs are cheaper. But also, if you have an Amazon Prime uh, subscription, don't forget to fo- to subscribe to a channel of your choosing. It doesn't have to be ours, but it's money we get to take from Bezos. But you get to give yeah, yeah. to someone from Jeff Bezos. <laughs> so you should do it. That's fair. Um, yeah, we'd love yeah. it to be us. But honestly, just remember that if you have Amazon Prime, you can give a monthly sub to, to a Twitch user. And also, if you wanted to pay for a sub, they are cheaper because of Prime Day. Oh, but I think it's nice. worth saying. Yeah. Perfect. Good. But mostly, take Bezos's money. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Adam, thank you very much for joining us oh, Thank uh, you for again this week. It's, it's always lovely chatting to you. It's also good to have things to chat about, which I, I didn't for a long time, it felt like. Because <laughs> I can't go on and talk about the same... I mean, I, we call that a lie when we talked about The Witcher 3 quite a bit on this podcast. Yeah, but yeah I, can't, I was going to say... I can't, I can't talk about the same week. games every time I appear, but I do, I do. Um, You're um, in good company. <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. Good. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us this evening. Uh, come and chat to us. We enjoy it. It's the best way to grow the community as well, to come and chat to us about beer and video games. Share with a friend, 
subscribe, rate, review, do whatever you do on your service of choice. That would really help us out. Uh, thank you for joining us. We will catch you all again very soon. We have been tanked up. Goodbye. Bye. I was a bit early on my wave, but hey <laughs> <laughs> A bit like the clap at the start, where we were a bit off with that, and I was a bit off with the wave. Uh, One, two, three. www.outoflives.net